we have the capacity to take, obviously, California, Nevada, and Texas. So now you can be a UBE attorney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can practically practice in 38 states. If yeah. You well, I put can. some time it's into my, it. my trial attorney. It's, it's right, I know. But but the, the firm. The firm. The firm. Yeah. I mean. Hello, everyone. This is Hamid Kohan from LegalSoft. We have a great guest here with us today with the LegalSoft podcast. Is Yossi Yahudei from JNY Law Firm. Welcome to our podcast today. Hey, Amin. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good, good, good. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks We're for having me. It's a great studio. Love to have a great conversation about your practice and for yourself sure. as much for as possible. Sure, for sure, for sure. The first question, uh, what made you to pursue law? Wow, good question. So, you know, when I went to college, I went to UCLA, didn't really know what to do, where I was going, like most Mm -hmm. most of the students so i tried a little bit of everything you know i tried science and i didn't like the sciences that much it wasn't intriguing wasn't appealing to me um so my first year was mostly math and science it was okay but it didn't excite me mm -hmm. and then second year i diversified a little bit i tried some political science classes and those were really interesting to me um it caught my attention it it kept my interest and I started looking into, you know, what kind of degree you could do with a political science degree. And naturally, of course, you know, law came up. Right. Um, so started taking some more uh, political science classes. And then that summer I worked for a PI law firm, not knowing that eventually I would want to do PI or that I would want to go to law school. It just happened to be that he was a PI lawyer and it was an entry level job you know, legal assistant, you know, uh, basic, basic, but it opened my eyes to what being an attorney could be. You know, I would go to right. court with him, sit on depositions, and I just found it fascinating. And I really enjoyed going every day, and I looked forward to going every day to work. Uh, and that summer was, you know, a game changer. And from that amazing summer experience, I knew I wanted to go to law school to help people, um, and I just took it from there. Nice, nice, good. Uh, when did you start practicing? So I passed the bar in 2007, mm -hmm. um, and I worked for a firm for about a year and a half, and then I went on my own by myself in February 2009, President's Day. So we're oh, coming wow. up on my 15-year anniversary. Congratulations, that's a pretty on, long Which time. is very crazy to hear me say that, that you know, 15 years, 17 years total. It's just, in, it's insane. Yeah. You look too young to be practicing Thank 15 you. years. I hope I always hear that. Thank you so much. <laughs> but that's cute. 17, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 17 years, 15 years of your own. On my own, yeah. Wonderful. Thanks. So when you started the PI, uh, what was the basic challenges of differentiating yourself from everybody else who's doing PI, especially in California? So when you came out and said, I'm going to start up my own firm. Right. What did you intend to do that it says, I'm going to be different than the average PI firm in the industry? So honestly, that those questions didn't enter my mind until I decided or I came up with the conclusion that I'm going to be okay. Because I was terrified to leave my established associate position right. the week before. Uh, there was only like a week in between my previous job and going on my own. I was terrified. I moved back in with my parents. Um, it was a big, big deal. So my my questions were, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? Was this a good idea? Is it going to work? Will <laughs> I survive? So 
it wasn't until later on when I was like, okay, looks like it should be okay. It should be fine that I started thinking about that. And that's a question that I still ask 15 years later is how are we different than all the other great, amazing uh, PI firms in California? Right. Right. Uh, it's a fa it's a fantastic question. I think it's a question that uh, entrepreneurs, attorneys should ask themselves every day. And it's just giving that best customer service, best client service. Something that I think sticks out um, about Jason and I is that we both have been in injury-producing car accidents okay. that were not our fault. Thankfully, they weren't anything catastrophic. Um, but, you know, we still got injured. Right. And we needed to get treatment. And it affected our life for, you know, for several months. So we don't know maybe to the extent of what our clients are going through, because unfortunately a lot of them have very serious and some catastrophic injuries and unfortunately some wrongful deaths, but we do have a sense of, of the, you know, the pain that they went through, the, the trauma, the inconvenience, how it affected their daily life. Um, so I can really relate with my clients on, on that level that, hey, I've been through this, you know, and for the ones that have smaller injury injuries and you know accidents on the on the more less severe side right i can tell them honestly i've been exactly where you were exactly i know exactly what you're going through i've had my car in the body shop for four months um you know not having a car and having to you know figure out how to, i'm going to get around right. with my rental expired and all that stuff so um that's how i try to differentiate between other people is just to bring the real life exp real yeah. actual experience and relate to them and yeah relating to them is a big yeah. thing because that's the biggest client retention program also yeah is to be able to relate to them and not just treat them like every other accident or you know, accident happens kind of a situation sure it's hard it's a challenge right especially when you're running a volume business it's a, it's a big challenge right but you gotta do your best and um your firm does other injuries than car injuries, car accident yeah. injuries, like a slip and fall. So we premise. love premise cases. Pre oh, really? That's, that's interesting because I know a lot of, a lot of people are that trying to stay us. away. So that's wonderful. So yeah, like I, that doesn't even, I wasn't even trying to answer your, your last question, but I guess that's one way. Um, our litigation department, I want to say 50%, if not more, are, are premise liability cases. So for those who don't know the audience who are not in the legal industry, could you please Briefly explain what a premise liability yes. case is. So, so liability is someone that's at fault, right? That's the word liability means. Premise is um, a location, whether it's a supermarket, a house, an apartment store, a building, a piece of land, uh, a structure. Um, and it means that there was some liability on the premise owner or on the premise lessor. Right. So, you know... For for those out there for for that don't know that term or are not familiar with with personal injury, we take on cases against landowners or uh, tenants, um, people that are leasing from the landlord that uh -huh. are running and operating stores, that they've created a dangerous condition, that was due to their negligence or their employee's negligence that caused our client harm. Great. Uh, there are much more difficult cases than your standard auto v auto cases. Much much more difficult in liability and other aspects. But we just, we love it for, just for the challenging reasons that it gives us. It gives us a lot of pleasure when we finally resolve them for good results. It's just that much more enjoyable. Wonderful. So can you give us one of those examples of stands out in your mind that the premise liability case that was unusual or didn't come in as a 
sort of like a solid case that stands up your mind that you litigated it and you got positive results from it that stands out. So for for people to relate, like, you know, everybody knows when you're in a shopping center, yeah. you're in the Walmarts and Targets and you fall down and because they, they provided dangerous zones or unsafe areas and things like that. Can, do you have one of those stories where you like, this one stands up? Uh, yeah, we've had, we've had many. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the interesting ones we have are these uh, crossover cases. I call them workers' comp um, mm -hmm. PI crossover cases, right. where the client was on the job. Uh, usually, they're co they're contractors. You know, right. They're they're not W two employees of the firm or of the company that they work for, um, but they're on they're you're performing work duties. Um, and while they're there, there's some sort of dangerous condition caused by. The construction company, somebody that's controlling the construction job, um, and we had one uh, that settled uh, just just yeah in 2023 in the middle of the year uh, for a mid seven figure case, and you know they were trying to argue that it was workers' comp exclusive that you know that the only uh, means of recovery for the client was through the workers' comp field. Uh -huh. um, so they brought MSJ, and of course we fought it, we prevailed. Um, and you know, a lot of firms may have folded or right. just tried to settle for a nominal amount, something like low five figures. But um, we, you know, learned the law um, and mastered it, and you know, got to know the exception to the workers' comp ex exclusivity rules. And you know, those are the really interesting, complex cases that um, that we're proud of because right. a lot of firms, I think. And you know, and we and we tried to bring in some firms to help us out because it was such a monster case. Right. And I'm not going to name any names, but some of you know the top two, three law firms in in the state declined to take on the case. Those um, are the most interesting ones yeah. because I've seen a lot of cases being rejected by several reputable firms. Very, yeah, they're they're some of the best. And then it goes to another firm and. They have a huge win, and this is sort of like it was a monster win, yeah. Yeah, so that that's great. And for those attorneys who are listening in, uh, this firm is is very successful on the premise liability cases. So if they want to refer cases, I'm sure they'd be very happy to entertain a referral arrangements for those premise liability. Because I have a lot of attorneys who don't want to; they're not comfortable with. They don't want to do premise liability. They just started doing MVA cases and so forth. So they're always looking for a good place to refer those cases and be able to help their clients. So yeah. we, we usually ask them to seek out those firms oh. and refer clients to. Yeah. We're happy to help. We're happy just to talk, have a conversation. You know, for those newer attorneys that um, are not comfortable doing it, you have to start somewhere. Um, so, you know, we have a lot of smaller premise liability cases that we, that we refer out. So they're more than welcome to reach out to us, and we're happy and practice and and you know refer those cases to them, and they can practice on those, um, and get better and better, and work their way up to these more serious, more complex cases. But um, yeah, I would not start with a monster liability no. case. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to to mentor them, and it's it's my my pleasure. That's how I started, so I, it's I owe it to the community to pay back. That's a great offer. How about dog bites? Yeah, I I. I uh, label that under premise liability. We sign up, you know, a, you know, a, a good amount uh, of dog bite cases every month. And when the when they come in, I kind of cringe because 
some of these photos are absolutely horrific. And, you know, I'm a dog lover and my kids love dogs. And I get so worried as a PI mm -hmm. attorney when my kids are around dogs because I know what they're capable of doing. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, there's some sad ones. There's some sad ones in there. Yes. But, you know, we have to represent the clients. We have to represent the clients. And, and the, the saddest ones are the minors. The minors that are the, the victims. Yes. Those are the hardest ones to deal with. So, um, but yeah, we deal with them. Those can be challenging at times. A lot of times the, the dog owner does not have homeowner's insurance, does not have renter's insurance. So then it's a case of, are they judgment proof? Then we have to do an asset search. We review it with the client in detail. Hey, this is what your case is probably worth. This is the range. These are the issues with the defendant. They have no insurance. So right. like they literally have to pay out of pocket. The problem is they don't own a thing. Right. They don't own one piece of property in their name. Uh, they make minimal amount on salary. You know, we can definitely get a judgment, but is it going to be just a piece of paper for you that you're yeah. going to hang on your wall for 10 years uh, that we're going to chase? So those are, those are the difficult ones. Those are the very difficult ones. Those are the conversations I hate having. But we owe it to the client to, you know, to do our due diligence. You know, can we get the property owner on um, – on the hook. On the hook, yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, you know, there, we live in a strict liability state, but there's no strict, there's, there is not strict liability against the property owner um, on a dog bite case. You would have to show that the property owner was aware, uh, had prior knowledge of the dog's vicious propensities. Right. So that's a whole other discovery battle that you have to go through. So those are, those can be very, very challenging and are very, very challenging. Right. The emerging industries in the PI, things like electric scooters, mm. which are getting very frequently used, and mm. people don't know their rights when they're doing the scooters. No, and, they don't. Yeah. Uh, so this is always one of those things is educating the public first. First of all, like you have a right. Like the dog bite was many, many years ago. They didn't know that they can actually, you know, claim anything because yeah. neighbor's dog bite me, and what am I going to do about it? Right. So that was one, and now is electric scooters, which is a lot of young folks are riding them, and they fall, they get hit by the cars, a lot. I've seen it. My son yeah. is uh, go to law school in Vanderbilt. Oh, nice! And I was there a, a little while ago, and it was like crazy. Everybody's on these scooters, and um, I probably spent half a day on the scooter too over there. Remember the craze, but when it was when it first came out. When the birds came out, yes. how popular they were. Right. They were everywhere. They were everywhere. Everywhere. And now they make it more focused. But around campuses, the young yes, it's very college friendly. It's very college friendly. Yeah, if I was friendly. still in college, I would for sure use that every day. Would that every 100%. day? 100%. So, um, what is your firm experience with this kind of accidents where, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a city claim because they ran through a huge pothole that a city didn't okay. fix properly or they got sort of uh, hit with a car? This is a great question. Uh, it's a great question that that during that craze where everybody was riding a bird or another electric scooter, we would get so many of these intakes come in. So if you're asking what I think you're asking, those can be very difficult cases. So yeah, we would have so many calls, dozens, dozens of calls a month of potential clients calling us, hey, I was riding a bird and uh, I hit a rock and I fell off and I broke my arm and three places and I need four surgeries. Um, you know, the bird malfunctioned. It just stopped. It just breaked out of nowhere. Just out of nowhere. I didn't press anything and it broke. and I flew off and I have a brain injury. 
We would get all these all the time. So if they were making, if they were trying to make, if they're trying to argue that something was wrong with the bird itself, mm -hmm. there was a malfunction with the with right. the scooter, then it became a product liability case. Right. Okay. And as you know, those are some of the hardest cases in PI. The number one rule, at least for our firm, for products liability is if you're going to have a products liability case and you're going to litigate it, you must have the product. You have to have it. Right. How can you argue to a jury and to defense counsel that a product was defective if you don't have it <laughs> right. and test it and have their have defense experts do their testing and come up with their own analysis? Right. How, how are you going to prevail? Impossible. Right. You're going to get defense every time. Not one person had the bird when they called us. <laughs> of course not. not one, literally, yeah. not one. Yeah, they can't. <laughs> um, you know, and I and they didn't know, and I, and I can't blame them. No. If I if I was a if I wasn't in law school, if I didn't go to law school, I wouldn't have known either. That so I had to give them the bad news that I'm sorry. Like I'm happy to help, and I'm happy to give it to my expert at our cost. He'll review it. I'll pay for it. You know, you don't have to pay anything out of pocket. But we need the we need the scooter. Yeah, we I've need the evidence. To, we, have to, we have to have evidence. We have to turn down every one of those cases. And right. those, those are hard conversations to have because these people. This is not. These aren't soft tissue injuries. Have you? No, no, these I know. Bad. When they fall off of that thing, injuries. I seen it. I'm like terrified when my kids start driving these yeah. scooters. Like it's. I don't even. I'm not even going to think that right now. But right. yeah, like when I see little kids driving them without a helmet, my heart drops. Yes. I. You know. I was a PI attorney. You like have different vision now when you see because you see so many bicycles <laughs> without helmets just bicycles on the street right. motorcycles are the or maybe the those are the ones that give me the most anxiety um but back to your scooter thing if there was a dangerous condition on the street okay if there was um a defect in the sidewalk where it wasn't a trivial defect and the tree branches have caused this massive four-foot incline right. uh, sidewalk. And we can later prove that it was there for years. And it was because of that that the individual fell and injured. Then, yes, then we have a great, potentially great city case that I'll take. Yes. I'll look, take on. If there was a defect, you know, on, on a city or county or homeowner's property, I'll probably, I'll look at that. Um, you know, with lots of detail and, and if everything else checks off, we'll take it. If he got hit, if he, you know, if the client got hit by a car, of course, right. then it's not a scooter case anymore. Right. It's like, it's, it's, you'll treat it as a pedestrian, motorcycle, bicycle case. Right. You know, we're not talking about the scooter, but if we're talking about the scooter itself, you have to have the scooter. I don't want to speak for other attorneys, but I just don't know how any other attorney could litigate a, a product case without the product. Right, so right. You have to Absolutely. Have the product. So within that, I also caught that you do city cases. Yes. Which not many people do. For those of you who don't know what that is, is basically when the injury happened, when the city government is responsible and has liabilities and uh, they can be proven to be causing the injury. Correct. For negligence, basically. Yeah. Um, city, not many people state. take it. Nope. That's another one that a lot <laughs> of attorneys don't take. It takes too long. Who wants to go after LA County for yeah. something? So. Uh, I'm happy to see that you actually do that yeah. because I I seen some great cases with the yeah. city claims. There's some great ones, and people have patience, and they uh, were able to recover greatly for their clients through the city claim. Not just city, county, but we take county. federal federal cases too. Oh, you do federal cases under the federal torts claim, yeah. So it's a little different with statues there, but it's you know obviously still negligence. Yeah, so we'll take on uh, cases against the federal government as well. So you do a full service injury. 
Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Any kind of personality. For, you also yeah. do workers' comp, or you don't do, do not? It? But we have about five really great friends that we have that we really trust, and we send and refer our workers' comp cases to. All five of them are outstanding, excellent. They give our clients excellent results, and we've never had a dissatisfied client that we that we refer them to. So we won't, but we'll take care of them. You take care of them. by sending them to the right partner. And you do take clients all over the California. We cover all of California. All of California. Yeah. Okay. We have satellite offices throughout. So, uh, any other states in the plan to expand to? So, one of my trial attorneys is barred in Nevada. Mm-hmm. So we we take Nevada cases. I just got barred in Texas in December. Oh, congratulations! Um, the biggest so, state. So, yeah, we also now are covering Texas. That just started. Just started. Um, so, yes. So, we have the capacity to take, obviously, California, Nevada, and Texas. So, now you can be a UBE attorney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can practically practice in 38 states if yeah. you well, I put can. some time it's into my, it. my trial attorney. It's, it's right, I know. Way, but but the, the firm. The firm. The firm. Yeah. I mean. When I say you, I mean the whole firm. Yeah. I yeah. see. Okay. Wonderful. So, what's in the plans in the next year or two? Well, you just kind of hit it on the head. That was a good segue is to expand into those two states. And we want to go to trial more. Um, you know, I have two fantastic, amazing, younger, hungry trial attorneys um, that have done um, a, a lot of second chair trials and some bench trials. But, mm-hmm. you know, they're ready on the right case with the right client and the right facts and the right circumstances to try to try cases. So right. we'd like to, uh, if the situation uh, has merit, we want to try some more. We want to try a lot more cases to verdict. We want to expand into those two other states as well. Wonderful. At LegalSoft, we um, deal with about a thousand law firms nationwide. Amazing. I love that. So we think God make it 10,000 <laughs> by next year. Thank you. And we think California, I've sure come across a lot of firms because it's a big hub of yeah. especially personal injury. Huge. So I get a lot of, uh, I used to coach, and that's how I started. Oh, yeah. But what sports? Uh, no, law firms. Ah! <laughs> I used to coach. I heard coach. I thought because I, I used to coach my uh, my girls' basketball team. No, I never gone to that's that cool. job, but that's where the whole thing started. Is that how you was. started it? That's how we started. I, didn't, I, didn't I was mentoring that. and coaching mainly PI and employment sure. firms. Are you still are you are you available for hire? <laughs> no, I don't do the coaching oh, anymore. I would love. But to. I was doing a lot of the scaling from law firms with a three four hundred staff to the ones who just started. Good job. So that's that's, amazing, that's, huh? that's where it was, and that so I come across a lot of young folks who come in and say, oh, I want to be the next Jacoby Myers or Wilshire or all of these other marine brands. And and they think they can just get in there and do it and go fast and litigate and everything. So I sort of, for the first three or four years, if I'm involved with them, I don't let them touch a litigation. And I say, you refer all of this out. You watch them how to do it. Yeah. And you learn from them. And then hopefully you can yeah. do it someday. That's not how I did it. But I, <laughs> I, I didn't have you back in 2009. <laughs> I said, don't, don't try this at home. Well, yeah, I, they, I threw myself in the into the courthouse. So <laughs> that was interesting. You jumped in there. Well, you were able to do it successfully. Well, back then it was different. I think it's, I think it's changed so much since 2009. Drastic. 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 It's, it's, I wish I had a video camera following me around for that year. Seriously. 
it would be amazing to go back and watch what it was like during that year. Right. I bet you wouldn't even recognize the field of law back then. No, even the, like seven, eight years even, ago. Yeah, even five years ago, it's changed. Yeah, it was, it was changed. Imagine 15 years ago. And now imagine three years from now, it's going to have a bigger change yeah. than we've seen in the past 10 yep, years. Because of technology and AI, for sure. Technology and AI are going to change million percent. everything on that. Scary. So congratulations about expanding out. Because yeah, so. that's always yeah. been one of my things. Is like, first time I, I got hit with this when I told them, why don't you do this and say, I'm only licensed in California. I said, so what? Why don't you go get licensed somewhere yeah. else? <laughs> because this, you know, California shouldn't be the only center. Yeah. So I'm glad to see that you're uh, moving forward with other Thank states. You. And there are a lot of good states, definitely better than California to practice there are. On, I've heard there's and some... expanding to. Yes, there are several, uh, at least several. Several. Yeah. So uh, expanding a law firm is definitely challenging. Yeah. And with the lack of resources and lack of staff, and especially with the firms like yourself, which is growing pretty rapidly, that's always been a challenge. From day one that I was in this industry, number one challenge to scale any practice was staff. Yeah. And uh, sure. lack of staff, lack of qualified staff. Qualified staff. You, and, you can get staff. It's just qualified right. staff. <laughs> well, my, my thing was not just a qualified, a grateful staff. Yeah. To be grateful to help others as a sort of... And just, and good, pe and, and good people. Good people. Just a good person. Right. Yeah. So that's when we sort of moved into trying to help with the firms to scale by providing virtual staff. And the COVID sort of helped a lot because COVID basically sent everybody home. Yeah. Says life's going to be virtual. Maybe the only good thing that came out of COVID. Right. So we learned how the virtual works. We should definitely benefit from a lot of the virtual yes. staffing. <laughs> you guys did. <laughs> we, we do that. And I know you also use virtual staff. We do. You guys use, use you guys. Wonderful. So... How is your experience with virtual staffing? Fantastic. I love it. Um, yeah, game changer. Uh, I hate COVID and everything about it. I think only two good things came out of COVID for me. One is Zoom and two is you guys. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I'm serious. Uh, so this is, you know, every time I, I cringe about COVID, I, I have to remind myself, okay, at least there's Zoom now and I, I've had me. So <laughs> um, they've been great. Uh, we just, you know, we, we keep on adding. I first I was like, okay, we'll get one or two. And then it became five and 10. I think we're at 15 right now. And we keep on adding just because they're so efficient, great, all the benefits, you know, no uh, payroll tax and workers' comp tax and, you know, employment issues or workers' comp issues. And they're diligent. They're hardworking. They love to work. They're grateful to have a job. They're very grateful. Which has become very foreign to us here, especially yeah. in California, where... As an employer, we're always sort of like, I'm grateful to be healthy and be live and everything, right. but employees who have the same thing should be grateful to be there. So having virtual staff, that was a, uh, very refreshing for me. That yeah. People actually love to do the work and so forth. And they, they, they carry on that attitude to the clients also. Yeah. So when a, when a virtual staff answers the client call, the client gets a whole different experience than in-house staff. For whatever reason, but I think being having a, being happy at your job is a major thing about that. What you guys do that's really great is you offer um, individuals a system that keeps them accountable. The hardest, the number one challenge for me with virtual or work from home is holding them accountable and right. making sure that they are efficient as efficient as they were if they were working in the office. And you guys provide tools that help us do that. So I love that, that you guys have helped us with us because that's my number one reservation with, with virtual, but you guys have um, people like supervisors and 
people that look over them and check their work and make sure that they're working. So that's that's a really fantastic thing that that we that we enjoy with you with your great. With your Thank you. Thank you. I have another question. Sure. I understand that you had a great settlement recently. That was another. It wasn't the typical case that the personal injury firms do, which is not a car accident or truck accident or things like that. So I want you to see if you can explore a little bit how you handled that case and uh, what a strategy you had that made it successful and you had a seven-figure uh, settlement. Yeah, that was a that was one of our biggest settlements. It was a confidential settlement, so I can't go into too much details. But again, it was one of those premise liability cases yes. that we talked about. And it wasn't your normal premise liability case where someone went to a supermarket and, and slipped and fell on a, on a foreign substance. Our client was uh, making a delivery uh, at, a at a work site and got hit by a forklift, um, which obviously is not customary. It was very unusual. And he unfortunately got severely injured. And we had to go into a sub area of premise liability law that we haven't done before. You know, get a forklift expert. Um, and have him educate us about the laws of forklifts and policies and procedures. Right. Um, so that strategy was really interesting. Of course, they heavily disputed liability, so it was very expert heavy. Um, and yeah, the, when you go into that, you got to get the right experts. Right. You know, they call it the battle of the experts, and it's so true in a case like that. Is how good are your experts? Um, how much can they help? How much value can they add? Um, so the strategy really, you you get to form that strategy with your experts as a team. Right. How long did that take? Uh, that was a six-year case. Six years? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Yeah, Seven-figure okay. case, especially premise liability. Yeah, is, a, uh, a, a, com a tough one, an wow. unusual one. Those are the most fun, though. Yeah, I love the they're challenging. They're not... I love the weird, unusual, crazy premise liability right. cases. Yeah. Great, wonderful. Uh, one more question. Yeah. One of the trending thing is the right share. Oh, which yeah. is the ride share market exploding and, and it's getting more and more common to have everybody use your ride share. The typical audience don't know that there is two type of a ride share incidents or accidents that happen. Okay. Uh, usually, if it's an automobile accident, it doesn't matter who's at fault. But also there was a case that I know one of the passengers of the ride share was actually exiting the car Okay. And the car moved faster before she closed the door on the car. Okay. And she fell down and injured kind of severely. Sure. And they weren't sure if they did something wrong or they they have a case or something like that because they said, okay, maybe I I closed the door too late or something, something. Sure. So that kind of a case. So what is your advice with the ride share industry and what is the people's right as far as when the injury happens? Inside the car, outside the car, okay. exiting the car, <laughs> you know, all of that. Well, she was exiting uh, an Uber? Yes. Okay, so the Uber driver has a duty to keep the client safe. Okay, And that means from picking up the client while driving the client and making sure the client has exited the car until the end. Yes. And the end includes closing the door and driving away. So if the driver prematurely drove away before the client safely closed the door and that caused her to fall and caused her injury, he 100% would be at fault. Wonderful. You always have to look at the facts and decide, did the defendant have a duty to your client? Right. And if they did have a duty, was that duty breached? That's the, your analysis is up there. And he did. He had a duty to the client to make sure that 
she was dropped off safely. And it seemed like he breached that duty. So, I mean, right, without knowing more facts, right. it seems like there's some, there's at least some a potential case there. Potential case. Right. I'm sure you guys do a lot of righteous cases. Yeah. Because it's getting pretty common nowadays. Yeah, okay. everybody, everybody wants to do that. Yeah. Everybody's doing <laughs> righteous, of course. Okay, great. In the 2024, you have a lot of experience building and scaling a law firm from scratch, and you've been very successful at it. So, if you were to advise some of these younger attorneys, mm. or even the ones that are established for a while, yeah. I mean, there is no such thing about uh, how much experience is enough experience. What they should start, what do they should stop, and what should they plan to do this year? Okay. Um, I would advise attorneys, whether they're new or older, to start calling each of their clients as soon as they get signed up. You know, we have a growing practice. We're super busy. And it might not be feasible to call all your clients on day one, but I think it's so meaningful if the client can hear from the managing partner, one of the owners of the firm, uh, with a welcome call, uh, introduce themselves, have the client hear from an act, you know, from an actual attorney. I think it goes a long way. I think it adds so much value to the client Absolutely. and creates such a great experience for them. Be like, wow, the attorney called. That's me. huge nowadays the attorney called me on day one absolutely That's amazing and they i bet you if they went and told their friends most of them would say i've that i don't have time to do that that, that didn't have oh no i'm talking about oh, their, oh, the like other client saying, yeah. could, oh that, that you know i would i bet that the, that's not they wouldn't common. even say i don't know who my attorney yeah, is i don't know about that <laughs> but so that's what i would say to start doing call the clients early on do that initial call with the client it will go a long way uh, to creating a rapport and especially if it's going to be a long relationship into, into litigation, you've planted a great seed that's going to blossom into a, a beautiful tree um, that will go a long way and add a lot of value to the relationship and to the value of the case and, and just everything about the case. Right. What I would stop doing, and get, give me a minute before you, <laughs> you attack me, I think chiropractors are great, and they are. M most of our cases have chiropractors on them. I, I see a lot of uh, attorneys start their clients with a chiropractor. I think it's better to start your clients with an MD. Uh, ideally, if we're dealing with the spine, a pain management doctor. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, if, we're, if there's no spine issues and it's just an extremity, an ortho is sufficient as well. But I think if you start with an MD, like a, like a pain management, and let him or her make all the recommendations, all the treatment advice, let that doctor dictate everything, I think you're going to get a much better result um, and get the client much better treatment from the beginning, especially if they have more serious injuries. Right. And again, chiropractors are great. I'm not saying don't use them. I'm just saying don't start with them. Let's start with them. Absolutely. You know, if, the, if the pain management doctor feels like the client needs chiropractic or physical therapy, which 99% of them do, by all means, of course, let the, the doctor refer them to them. But start with the PM, start with the ortho, start with an MD. I think right. you'll see a lot better results. And what I would continue doing is continue monitoring your KPIs, your key performance indicators. Uh, I've learned a lot in the last couple of years about how important data is. Mm -hmm. Data, data, data. You need data. Um, you know, review your data on a daily basis. You know, run the five most important reports to your business on a daily, weekly basis. Right. See if your staff is hitting your KPIs. You know, is that case manager hitting the benchmarks that you want him or her to? Is your demand writer hitting those benchmarks? Is your settlement negotiator hitting those benchmarks? Are your litigators and uh, trial attorneys hitting their benchmarks? It sounds like you read my book. It was free, yeah. 
because those are exactly some of the things that I said many years ago. Is that a lot of the law firms are not doing and ignoring is yeah. operating without a KPI, operating without the deliverables, you know, not paying attention to the clients enough. They're always chasing for a next new client yeah. instead of paying attention to your existing yeah. and past clients. It's always like it's like a race to get the next one. And it's like it's my first one or my, it's my last one or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they have a thousands of cases in the process that they completed or they're still working on. And it's like they look like they are, I got all of these. So I need to go get yeah. 100 more new ones. Yeah. It's kind of the what have you done for me lately kind of mentality. Right. Right. Yeah. You, they fall into that trap. It's understandable. Yeah. You know, really use your KPIs. If you haven't started using them, that's fine. We didn't use them at one point. So we were in that boat and, you know, start using them. There's lots of firms. I'm sure you can help them, uh, you know, work, work on those, create those. And yeah, continue monitoring those and really basing your decisions on those KPIs and that data. Be, you know, be proactive. Yes. Don't be reactive like, mo like a lot of people are, a lot of businesses are. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been really a pleasure speaking with it you was, today. It was a lot of fun. And I uh, hope to see you here In again. Invite and me back. I'll we, be back. We do chapter two. We'll do chapter two. <laughs> oh, wonderful. All right, great, man. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everyone, for joining us in the Legal Soft Podcast. I hope it was informative for you and you gained some new knowledge from watching us today. And if you like it, please subscribe so you can follow with other episodes. Thank you. Mm -hmm.